Today's guest is Dr. Tommy Watson from Rags to Success Story. He has inspired and motivated millions of people in his experience as a star athlete, a corporate manager, effective school leader, and a successful entrepreneur. And a variety of people have called him Dr. Inspiration. He is an author of many books as well as a future producing film of his life. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Dr. Tommy Watson. I would like to apologize in advance for the muddy recording and microphone difficulties. Jasmine, good afternoon. Hello, good afternoon. How are you today? I'm doing great about yourself. Very well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Absolutely, Um, thanks for having me. So yeah, I was in Atlanta, Georgia a few months ago. Uh, First time that I could, quite interesting city, it's beautiful. Yeah, great city, big city, lots of traffic. (laughs) Horrible traffic, Um, but not not too bad though. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So it's Dr. Tommy Watson, and and I do apologize also because I'm not much of a sports fan, but you, (laughs) (laughs) so don't, don't be insulted if I, ask you questions that I I just don't know much about is it uh, football and so forth so I love football I just don't know everybody on the team I just yell at the screen and say (laughs) no problem problem. (laughs) everything is fair game so I'll teach you about the game of football you'll know about football once we get finished here oh sure yeah that'd be great and uh, I have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask of you and it might not be in order, so um, mm. it was just kind of a random, like, that's something I would love to know, as well as the listeners. I know that we haven't hit on subjects in regards to um, your background. And, I mean, you just looking at your website and reading your bio and watching your YouTube, I actually teared up when I saw your YouTube um, in regards to your life story. And one of the things that I did enjoy um, you know, after all that, it kind of came out that you inspired me even more to the point where I think I, I signed up for your um, Tommy letter. I think it's awesome. letter Tommy dot uh, com. So um, that was a couple days ago that I signed up for that. So I'm like, you know what? I think I think I need to do something like that. I have been struggling a lot with um, childhood trauma, and it's kind of roadblocked my success and my thought process on how to become successful and kind of become, you know, leap and bound over those obstacles that I, you know, they're probably self-made now that I'm an adult, but they just kind of just, they come directly from just the type of childhood that I, background that I had. And I'm not sure if you've ever um, viewed any of my other podcasts, but I did kind of do like little bit tidbits of things about my life. Your story of your life, um, I'm a very emotional person. So to see what you have gone through, it just brings back a lot of my memories. Um, You know, I've moved around multiple times and that's because my parents were in the military, but in in between that time, um, my mother was married multiple times and I was kind of a latchkey kid. So I didn't have the parenting, it was parenting, you know, in the household. So it was like pretty much like, uh, 
like a survival mode, you know, in at a young age. So, but there was just a lot of things that I had gone through as well, and I wanted to share. Um, Thank you for uh, sharing. And, yeah. You know, everyone has a story, and I really appreciate you, you know, getting to a place where you're willing to share your story because someone can benefit from hearing your story. And even my story for many years, Jasmine, it was painful to talk about. It was embarrassing. And I actually didn't want to talk about it. And God brought me to a place where he was able to use me and use my story to be able to help other people. So I've been on a mission to do that um, since I left college. And um, like I said, I'm glad to be here sharing it with you today as well. Yeah. You know, I loved it, the thought that you had siblings and you were able to support each other through these the struggles that you have gone through. Um, but I didn't have that. And so I became pretty much everyone, you know, the mother that was not in the picture, the father that I dreamt in my mind um, to be this perfect dad, this this wonderful um, man who uh, I visioned to have maybe down the road as um, the opposite of what my father is. So I had all these building blocks as to what I didn't want in my life and went out to get it. But it's like, there's a lot of things that kind of conflict with what do you want and what is is uh, actual, um, especially when you don't have the building blocks, the proper building blocks, the, the healthy growth, the development of your psyche, your um, disability to do anything because you have society against you because you are a person of color. I was a single mom at, in high school. So um, I didn't have, you know, that was, that was an interesting thing too. So, but just a little tidbit on, on what I had gone through. And when I was watching your video, um, it, I just wanted to give you this hug, even though, you know, I wasn't there to, I'm getting, I'm getting teared up there. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Just talking about yours, it's making me more emotional because I've, numbed my reality but to see people also going through that type of suffering at a young age um it hurts me because i have three boys so i see i see a man who is uh, a man of color and he is um my sons are also children who are going to be men uh, of color and just the thought of having you go through that it's almost like a statistic that has almost like become a norm. And I, I really want you to inspire um, other people who are struggling with that same type of mentality where they're in that situation. They don't feel like they can get out of it. And you are an inspirational story for a lot of people. Um, so I want to have, make sure that I reach out to the men out there. And because uh, I don't have that many men listeners, I think I've had maybe one or two who are guests and, uh, yeah, I want more of this. I want to inspire us to, to lift each other up specifically. Sure. So some of the questions that I had. Um, I, lo- I love your first question, by the way. Yes. That was a great question. That really got me excited there. Yes, because I was that was kind of like what I'm trying to lead up to. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I'm pulling back the tears, I'm you can probably hear my voice. I'm, I'm choking up a little bit. But I wanted to know what is the biggest misperception of you um, in your life journey as a Black man? Yeah, that's a great question, Jasmine. I was excited when I first uh, came across that question. And there's probably two misperceptions. You know, one, people hear me as Dr. Tommy Watson today. They'll assume that I didn't go through any struggles in life. And then for those folks who know my struggles, 
they, they assumed that I went through those struggles unscathed. So, mm-hmm. you know, a little backdrop on, on, my, um, on my story for your listening audience. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. My mother and father were drug addicts and shoplifters who were arrested a total of 121 times by the time I finished high school. So as a kid, I spent a lot of time in foster homes, crisis centers, motel rooms, uh, bouncing from place to place to place, living with different friends and family members, um, and really, you know, not feeling worthy of, of anything in my life. And I uh, tried to join a game when I was in third grade. My aunt was pretty smart, got me involved in basketball. Um, by the time I was in seventh grade, we got kicked out of our house in front of all of our friends. And um, they went and took, I mean, the community went to our yard and took all of our stuff. And my family of nine of us moved into one motel room um, for my entire three year of school. And during this time, the thing that kept me going was, was sports. And I, I kept playing basketball, um, ended up uh, getting an opportunity to go to a private suburban Denver high school, which is one of the top ones in the state of Colorado. My, my mother and father were against me going to the school, but they ended up going back to prison into my um, eighth grade year of school. So I moved, me and my little brother and little sister moved with my, my grandmother, uh, my, my other grandmother and uh, moved in with her. And my grandmother's wish that I go out was to go out to high school every day. So by the time I was in eighth grade, my, my neighborhood was being called Little Compton in Denver because all the gangs that had migrated from Denver, from LA were now coming out to Colorado. And my grandmother, you know, she didn't have much money. So she moved us into the heart of our neighborhood. And I was taking three city buses one way to high school every morning, starting at six o'clock, 6.30 in the morning. And going out to this predominantly white high school, very affluent school where the kids, when they went skiing on the, on the weekends, they went to resorts that their parents either owned or partially owned. And here I am, you know, coming in, taking three city buses from their cities. So that was a struggle in itself. Uh, by my junior year of high school, my grandmother had developed Alzheimer's disease. So she eventually had to be placed into a nursing home. Um, and during this time, I'm bouncing around from place to place to place. My mom comes out of prison. She's no longer doing drugs, no longer stealing to take care of herself. And she wants to do the right thing, but no one would give her a second chance. So my mother eventually turned to selling drugs to take care of us. And in the middle of my senior year of high school, I received a daunting call at school. My mother was busted for selling drugs. I was on her way back to prison again. So in the midst of my senior year of high school, Bobby and Cruz, one of the top football players in America, my mother went back to prison. My little brother was on his way to prison. My oldest brother was now coming back around. I met by pure coincidence in a foster home in second grade because even the same game as my little brother. My oldest sister was on the streets on crack cocaine. My second oldest sister was in foster care in Iowa. My younger sister lived with my aunt, and uh, I was literally homeless for the last six months of my senior year of high school, bouncing around from place to place to place, hoping that I could just barely graduate from high school and eventually, you know, go on and play football for the University of Minnesota. And my goal was to get to the NFL, and I thought getting to the NFL was going to bring me happiness and joy, and um, I ended up getting injured, so the NFL dream didn't happen. But I knew I couldn't go back to my situation I left in Denver, so it forced me to go on and get my education. Went on became a school principal and got four degrees. And left being a principal about 11 years ago to start my own business, speaking, speaking, coaching and consulting. And, um, you know, it's been a blessing to uh, be able to share my story. So we start talking about those misperceptions. You know, a lot of people assume that, you know, here, Dr. Tommy Watson, they'll say, hey, well, you must have had it pretty good. You're your doctor. But at the same time, you know, even my family members who know my story, they say, you know, we're so proud of you. You went through this with, you know, and you look pretty good, but they don't recognize the internal wounds that existed with me for many, many years, in particular in college. You know, I fell into a deep state of depression in college and even contemplating suicide for a moment because the, the wounds were so deep and I didn't have anyone to speak to about it. Um, so my writing uh, of my books has been the, the, the form of therapy that really saved my life. So we start talking about those assumptions that people make 
And, and, and again, we talk about your story. You know, everyone has a story. You know, we all have a story. We've had to overcome something in life. And there's a benefit um, to someone out there in terms of our society to hear your story. So, again, I never would have thought in a million years when I got off that bus in 1992 going to the University of Minnesota after spending 22 hours on the Greyhound bus crying about where I came from, that my story would ever be used in a way to help inspire or do anything for anyone else. So it's a blessing to be able to uh, know that I've been on you know, lots of media across the country and conferences across, across the country, speaking to others, you know, uh, motivated with my story. So it's a blessing. Yes, it is. And I, it's an honor to have you here uh, on my podcast. I mean, out of your busy schedule, it's, I, I thank you so much for sharing this because this is something that is duly needed for any type of community, specifically for uh, the persons of color community. Um, black men specifically, uh, if you want to narrow it even more. But I, like you said, you mentioned it. You have a couple of books out here, and you actually have another one that's coming out, or has it already come out? So I have another one coming out in uh, January. That's called uh, "Leaping from W Two to Ten Ninety Nine. So for those individuals who want to go from entrepreneur, from employee to entrepreneurship, there's 22 things that I give you on my journey that you you must do to be a successful entrepreneur. So I'm excited to launched that uh, in, in January. So be on the lookout for that. And then my other book, A Face of Courage, of course, is about my story, award-winning um, book. It's also been turned into a movie. You know, the, the movie is, has won uh, seven, uh, seven awards on the Short Film Festival, and we're in talks with folks in Hollywood now to see if we can actually get it to a feature film or, or something uh, grander later on. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that as well. Wow. Wow. This is a uh, wonderful. Congratulations. I love that. I love to hear that, that, uh, your life has inspired to become, to be used to reach across the globe for other people to be inspired as well. So that Absolutely. is awesome, awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for that. Um, so your background with your siblings and the, you being from like literally, like you said, from you know hotel to, to family, Motel, not even hotel. Well, I'm in a hotel now. Hotels are pretty nice. Yeah. Motels are not nice. <laughs> yeah, the, from motel to, you know, having your siblings dispersed in amongst uh, different parts of the community and losing that connection with your family and being separated from your parents because of the, the types of choices that they decided to make in their lives and to being university and homeless and NFL. I mean, I got hurt before I got to the NFL. I was on my way there, but I got hurt before I got there. So I didn't quite make it to the NFL. Oh my yeah. gosh. Probably like something that you wanted to do your passion, your, your way out of the type of environment that you were brought up in. That was like the gleaming hope for you. Um, but I think, you know, if you believe in a higher power there, that was, that was the direction you needed to go but then there was a sharp left in the process of that. And that was, that was exactly where you were supposed to be at the right time. It's unfortunate that you were injured in the process, but yes. one of the questions, cause I know like the NFL, <laughs> like I just mentioned in the beginning, uh, cause I wanted to ask you exactly like, would you rather be the best player on a horrible team or the worst player on a great team? And that could be, I guess, in, in regards to like even life itself, but as a, in, um, so you can take, any direction you'd like to answer that question? Well, you know, my daily philosophy is to be the um, to be the uh, thermostat, not the thermometer. So <laughs> I like setting the tone and not necessarily being the 
being, you know, dealt the tone that I'm in. So I would definitely not want to be the worst player on a good team. I would probably want to be the best player on a, on a struggling team in hopes that I'll bring the struggling team eventually on to become a, a, a good team. So, mm-hmm. um, but my goal has never been the, to be the worst of anything. Although I have been the worst, in, in particular in the sport of golf now, I am <laughs> the worst every time I step on the golf course. But my goal is always to be the best. So I prefer to be the best versus the worst. Right. Yeah. Well, golf is definitely not the forte. It, <laughs> I can't even, it's not even in my dictionary, but I'm glad you actually are accomplishing to look good in the process of doing that. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's the big goal on the golf course. Look good, not necessarily. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so what was the other thing? Oh, so if you could disappear or reappear at any point in time, when and where would that be? Yeah, that's another good question. You know, there's, there's no better time than now to be alive. You know, um, as, as, as thankful as I am for my journey, um, for where I came from there, I would never want to go back and live those moments because it, it was really so painful. I can laugh about it today, but um, I remember just being, you know, in such a, you know, moments of despair and hopelessness at times growing up. I mean, can you imagine it? The, the people who bring you into this world, your parents are not there for you. You know, um, one, one of my, um, the movie piece that I'm pitching to Hollywood, um, there's a series I'm calling Resilient Below Poverty. And people mm-hmm. say, well, what's Dr. Watson, what's below poverty? And I tell them homelessness. So when I was in, when I was in middle school and my siblings and I, I mean, my brother and I, um, we're going to this middle school together. The school bus would go get all my friends from the projects who are, you know, and, that's, and I'm not minimizing that situation is tough, you know, living in single parent uh, households, but they were all coming from the same environment. They were all pretty much in a stable environment, even though they were government supported. But we were coming in from a motel room where no one, the school didn't have our address. No one had our telephone number. Um, we, didn't, we wouldn't get any government assistance, assistance because my parents were involved in legal activities. And, um, you know, we didn't eat oftentimes at the motel room. So our meals came at school. Our clothes were dirty. Um, you know, I remember even second grade, Jasmine, we, we, we returned to a motel room that we were living in. Because, again, we lived in seven, not just visit overnight. We lived. All of our stuff was in them. We returned to one motel room. I remember my dad going up to the door and tried to put the key in the door and it, and, it, and it wouldn't work. And he turned to the owner who was outside and he said, hey, you know, what's going on with the door? And the owner said, you guys haven't paid rent. Get out of here. And my father went back and forth and he finally said, get out of here before I call the police. And right then that was a sign that we had to go. And and Jasmine, we we literally, I was in second grade. We literally walked away from that motel room, got back into the car. We left everything we owned in that motel room and went down the street to the next motel room and had to start life all over again. I'll tell people, when you start talking about homelessness, homelessness is quite different than being in, in poverty, you know, you know, a lot oftentimes my friends in the projects, they grew up in the projects their whole lives. That's tough. But at least you had a place to stay. I mean, we were returning home. We didn't know where we we're going to stay at, didn't know where my parents were going to be at. Um, even right now in the city of Charlotte, we have 5,000 families, you know, that go to sleep in shelters, you know, cars, motel rooms, uh, crisis centers every night. That is a completely different beast than simply uh, growing up in the projects. So, that's the world that I want to introduce um, the nation and the world to in terms of what it's like to grow up in and, and be homeless. Because for the most part, you are invisible when you are dealing with homelessness. And, you know, we think about the, the folks who live on the streets on, on corners, and that's tough as well, though. But there are families who aren't necessarily on the streets, but they're living in um, they're living in motel rooms. They're living in crisis centers, you know, and, and if 
know, when I was a principal, I used to tell my colleagues a lot, try not to suspend kids who were homeless. Not, not that you didn't let them off the hook, but for the most part, when you have a kid who's homeless, who lives in the shelter, during the day, they have to get out of the shelter. So now where does that kid go? You suspended them, you know, they're on the streets kind of walking around, you know? So as much as, you know, when I was a principal, I pride myself on doing a lot of things, holding kids accountable for things that they could be um, suspended for in the building. And we only had one suspension my entire year. But I think, you know, we as a society got to think of creative ways and do more to deal with kids who are uh, in the foster care system who are dealing with homelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, my son, um, my son chose to be homeless. It's, it's mm. really interesting because I brought him up to respect um, all culture, respect all persons, their living conditions, their their living status. Um, you know, I, I I was raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you know where Milwaukee is, uh, I lived down a street where the the action the actually the alley was called Murder Alley because every night there was a body either in a dumpster or someone shot up. You know, some gang related conflict. Um, I was between Latin Kings and you know the GDs and the two fours and the Bloods and the, you know whoever wanted to go up in there. So I've dealt with that for like 15, 20 years of my life when I was young. Um, and I started running with that stuff too, uh, you know, off and on, got got in trouble. I was in treatment centers, detentions. I was actually going to be heading off into prison by the age of 15. But um, luckily, I had a attorney. Um, so during that time, um, yeah. I did the, you know, running away out of group homes, treatment centers, foster homes. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a interesting tidbit. And when I became a, a, a young mother, my first thing that I did is completely the opposite of what my mother has taught me because I learned what not to do. I taught him the, to enrich himself with culture and art and music and people and, and loving um, unconditional um, all walks of life, all living conditions of whoever. And um, I've even had moments where we would sleep out and do fundraisers uh, for the homeless. And so we slept out and camped out and did that. We even yeah. walked for against, um, walk against family violence. I mean, so I had made sure that he understood that he, no matter what walk of life a person is, no matter how low they are, they are still people Absolutely. and you need to respect them. And I wanted to grow, you know, teach him to be a man, you know, once that time comes, he has the proper tools that if I had it, you know, that's something that a lot of our kids are lacking. And he didn't have a father in his life. I had to so-called man up what I could do with the resources that I was provided. Sure. So, you know, I completely understand what you have gone through. Um, and, he chose to be homeless at the age of 18. He, you know, so, and he respects life so much more knowing that from his perspective, how people who are homeless, you know, they are people, um, they're not, they're, they're not, he noticed that a lot of, a lot of others who walk past uh, a family or, or a man or a woman on the street, they're invisible. They're invisible people. And this is something that's broken in our society. You know, yeah. no matter how, everybody has had their low. 
Some have, have been lower than others, but that doesn't mean that they become obsolete and in, yeah. in not part of, you know, so yeah, I'm going to ramble on. So you got to stop me because <laughs> I will keep going. <laughs> amen. Amen. I give amen to that. Yes. So, yes, um, I'm really enjoying you sharing this, uh, sharing this with me and the listeners. Thank you so much for this. Now, because uh, I know you have, I love your website because it's, it's like, I can pick and choose but there's so much that I want to tackle, no mm-hmm. pun intended, tackle. Yes, there's so much that I want to just grasp onto. Mm-hmm. It will take me uh, maybe a two days to go through this, but I think as a cliff note, um, I would love to run down a couple of things on here that I really kind of catches my eye. And I know that we talked about your books. I also... We also discussed about you being an, um, a doctor, and I, I want to find out more about that. I don't know if, if anybody else has touched on that subject with, with you on a, any other podcasts or any other types of uh, speaking engagements, but is there something that you would love to share with the listeners? I think if you want to put that in closing, um, I can ask these questions now, and then we can do something in closing if you wanted to share something that you weren't able to do. You're doing a great job. You know, um, you mentioned my siblings over and over again. You know, yes, you yes. Questions about my siblings. Yes, and sir. I'll, I'll tell you, um, as tough as it was growing up, um, then there's six of us total. We there was never a time we all lived together as kids. We we're always in different foster homes, and which was very unfortunate. But uh, for the, for the bulk, uh, when I was in second grade, there was five of us who did live together. We had a baby sister, and uh, I think the the struggle that we had during that time was. So my siblings and I, we were very, very close because of the struggles. And I remember in, in second grade, we had a one-year-old baby sister. And then Jasmine, we were literally, my older sister was in sixth grade, which stayed home while my other sister was in fifth grade. I was in second grade, my little brother in first grade. We would actually go to school because we didn't have any food at home. So my parents would leave us for days by ourselves with a, oh with a little God. baby. Not, not just hours, but I'm talking about we wouldn't see my parents for uh, a week and a half sometimes. So we were on our own. So we would go literally go to school, Jasmine, not necessarily to learn, but to steal food. And we would steal food and make sure we had enough brought back for our sisters. We got home and we were going on weekends. We were going to grocery stores and steal food. Um, I mean, and we, I'm talking about stealing food. I'm talking about grocery stores. We would grab uh, candy bars and cupcakes and chips. That's what we were living off of as kids, wow. um, taking care of ourselves. So my siblings and I were very, very close because of the struggles that we had to go through. But I'd also say that those struggles uh, were very, very painful for my two older sisters because they were in the foster care sister system as young teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have the protection over them. You know, my brother and I, we were boys. We were going through it. So we were, um, you know, it was a little bit different for us. You know, we could, if someone tried to do something to us, the two of us could physically protect ourselves. But my sisters, they didn't have that ability oftentimes. So, so they were, they went through a lot. And um, it broke, it breaks, still breaks my heart today, knowing that there was no one there to cover them as they were enduring these things, as you're going through, you know, these different foster homes and what have you. And, you know, there, there are moments where we're all together having happy moments. And then next year, this person's over in this foster home, this person's over here because we all have different dads as well. So they were mm-hmm. this part of the family. So it, it was tough. It was, it was, um, it was tough, but today we have a great appreciation and love for each other. Um, because of that. And, you know, two of my siblings left Denver 
and actually live in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, where I'm at as well. And, um, you know, two of my, my, my brothers, the two of them, they've started um, a trucking business together. So, um, nice. we, you know, we value family. We unfortunately lost our oldest sister last year, but we, we've all been very, very close in our journey. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry about your sister. Um, my heart goes out. Uh, as you can see, um, I am tearing up, especially when you talk about your sisters being in the foster system, because that's exactly where I was too. Um, fighting, fighting to the nail, just fighting to keep them off me, fighting to keep my head up high, fighting to get out of the system, fighting, just fighting. And, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, I Definitely. have one of, my, one, of, one of my podcast guests, I have a podcast as well called Resilient Stories. Oh, okay. Um, her story was actually on um, Lifetime. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but she grew up living in 39 different foster homes, you know, and wow. she was abused in a lot of them. And she just, she felt like, uh, I think the name of her movie was called uh, Nobody's Child or something like that. And finally, um, there was a, a um, she was adopted later on in life. And it just meant so much to her because she felt like she had to just fight, 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 fight everywhere she went. And even in school, she got in a lot of trouble fighting because she had no one there to protect her as she was going through the system. So she had to become a fighter uh, physically and mentally uh, to make it out of the system. So uh, kudos to you for being where you are. And uh, I know my sisters had to do a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, always. I think there's a couple of times that I've talked with other guests who always say, I've talked to an, uh, an indigenous uh, sister of mine. You know, all we always talk about you know, constantly fighting for fight, fight, fight. And someone always goes and says, oh my gosh, you're so resilient. They're like, well, yeah. but I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. I don't yeah. want to be resilient. I shouldn't be even doing this in the first place, but yes. So yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that um, your brothers and sisters are, are doing well for themselves. And I, and I'm, I'm sorry about your sister passing um, last year. Uh, so yeah, I, I <laughs> I'm trying not to. I always think like if I ever had any siblings, siblings, I I would be just torn apart, and I wouldn't know how to even. I'll be inconsolable, I guess. Well, and, and but, oldest, I'll just say this right. Now. My older sister, she eventually turned to crack cocaine. I remember literally in high school, I'd, I'd be getting off the bus coming from this football from this school, where I was being mm -hmm. showcased around the country from this football player, and I'd literally get off the bus coming back home to my neighborhood. And there was my older sister on the on the streets, you know, doing crack cocaine and prostituting herself. But even in those moments, though, I still went up to her all the time and gave her a big kiss and told her how much I love her and how much I appreciate her because she was my hero growing up as a kid. You know, she was the one who um, kept kept us even as a sixth grader. She was taking on a lot of a lot of parental duties as a sixth grader. Right. And unfortunately, she didn't have anyone to turn to, so she eventually turned to drugs in the streets. Um, but I was just so proud of her. Even even before she passed away, she was working job. She was trying to do some things. So I was very, I was her biggest cheerleader, you know, and, um, you know, the memories I have of her, um, you know, and there's only in my book, A Face of Courage, there's only one time where I refer to someone as being a hero. And that was my older sister, Melinda. She was my hero growing up as a kid, despite the drugs and prostitution, and everything else. She was an amazing person, you know? So I, I tell people sometimes, you know, we, we, we can see the behaviors of people and we look at the behaviors and we judge them on those behaviors. But sometimes there are things that are taking to their place. But we have to learn how to start seeing deeper beyond the behaviors and really kind of discover who the person is behind those behaviors because everyone has a why and a reason behind what they do and everyone has a story. So my sister Melinda Watson, amazing person, 
despite the drugs and everything else that she went through, she was an amazing human being, had a great heart. And uh, uh, her, her memories will always live with me forever. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah, I think as I as I'm getting older, I'm I don't hold back on my emotions anymore. And you know, it's it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be emotional. You know, sometimes in our society we're told not to be, but it's okay. We need we need to re- release them at the appropriate time. So appreciate your transparency and honesty. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Um so if I could hit on some uh, other subjects, if, if you don't mind, I know there's some that I didn't have the prep question for, but, and I think, you know, like I said, I mentioned before, uh, you had that, um, is it the letter to Tommy? Yes. Um, I'd love to hit on that subject as well as anything else like you have here. Like you just have a variety of beautiful categories that you have your hands involved in so many positive things. And I just want to just do at least some impression, uh, or, you know, indentation of, of this on the podcast, because if the listeners are listening into this, it doesn't matter what time. Um, I really strongly suggest that y'all need to go to your website. I mean, you have, you, uh, your coaching pro- program, you have courses and training, you, yeah. um, you have events that are going on, you, you have the, like, just, and of course, your podcast, like you mentioned, and your books, I mean. You know, ja- Jasmine, I mentioned yeah. one thing, one of the ones that I'm probably most excited, you know, the letter to Younger Tommy started out years ago when um, I was asked if I, if, I, if I were able to go back and say something to my younger self. Um, what would I say? And, and you know, and I, I thank you for opening up saying that you would have you would have wanted to give that little Tommy a hug. And, you know, when I thought about that younger Tommy, that's what I kept imagining in my, in my mind. Um, how can I give this young man a hug and tell him that it's going to be OK? Can, can, you, can you imagine my third grade living in Newman's foster home, crisis centers, motel rooms? You're talking about a hopeless kid there. How can mm-hmm. I just hug this kid? So my letter was a lot about trying to encourage my, my younger self and letting my younger self know that it's going to be okay. But at the same time, my letter to my younger self was also speaking to the many other individuals out there who are currently going through those situations now. So over the years, I've been able to coach a lot of people on how to take their stories and turn into successful businesses. So uh, one of the things I launched back in um, November was uh, my course called A Million Dollar Business Pathway. So it's merged from the letter to Million Dollar Business Pathway, and there's three aspects of the coaching program that we have. One, I believe everyone's purpose in life is connected to your story. You know, oftentimes we look for our, our purpose out here, and our purpose is right here next to us. It's been with us the entire time. And what we learn is that what we know and what we've gone through have become experiences, and we become an expertise in that. So I tell people, uh, you already have a PhD in your story. You don't necessarily have to go back to school and do like I did, but you already have a PhD in your in your story because no one knows it better than that. So in my coaching program, I help people take their story, develop the lessons learned from the story, create multiple streams of income around that, and create a successful business, which I've been able to do over the last several years to create a seven-figure business. Um, I had one client who lost his job in the midst of COVID. He came to me and uh, was literally lost his job once COVID hit and um, was able to take these strategies and created a half a million dollar business in less than a year. So um, one of the great things about 
finding your purpose in life is that your purpose is already there with you. And it's a matter of doing what you just said, Jasmine, you know, really reflecting, evaluating, analyzing uh, your story, learning how to tell your story, finding out who your marketplace is for your story, who the people can benefit from your story, and then finding the different ways to share your story. And over the years, I've been able to share mine through books, uh, even most recently movies. But also, you know, I forgot to see this clip. Though. I've also rapped. I did a rap on the, 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 the theme song. Can you believe that? Yeah, it was horrible, but uh. was horrible. people liked it, but it was it was tough. Uh-huh. So I actually rapped the theme song for the movie as well. So uh, it's called Resilient as well. Yeah. So when I go to, when I go to schools, when I'm talking at schools, when I go to most places and talk, I usually throw in there that I'm a rapper and people say, no, <laughs> So I tell the kids, you can be a rapper and a doctor at the same time. So, you know, it's okay to pursue both. Yeah. But, you know, individuals out there who want to find ways to further explore their stories, I would really encourage them to go to my website, tiawatson.com. Check out my Million Dollar Business Pathway program and see if it's a program for you. And, you know, consider jumping in there. It's it's a program that, you know, we've um, helped a lot of people out with it, you know. And again, you know, there's nothing like living a place of purpose. I walked away from my... You know, one of the things we're seeing in our society right now is we're seeing the great resignation. There are people who are very, very tired of working jobs where they're not getting meaning out of it. They're not getting paid for it. There's no work-life balance, you know. So one of the great things I discovered once I walked away from my job many years ago as a school principal was that I was able to tap into a world of um, consulting and all these other, you know, creating an information business. So an information business is there is information that we already have from our experiences in us. It's a matter of creating and putting them in a business format and that there are people that are willing to pay you not by the hour, but by the value that you present when it comes to your information, your knowledge. And it becomes a great resource you can utilize and take care of yourself. And then, you know, something you can leave a legacy with and make a difference on, you know, because, again, you're going to jobs. You have a lot of people in in, in the country right now. I think 85 percent of Americans actually hate the jobs they go to every day. So Mm -hmm. why, why not find a place where you're. Um, create work, create the work that you love doing and do it daily. So it's it's a great place. I also dug into that a little bit more in regards to the, the great resignation. It's, it's hitting a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. I is also identify that it's not hitting. It hits differently in regards to people of color because they don't have the opportunity to let go of, of their job that have yeah. been part of the great resignation because they have family, they have the struggle of, you know, keeping their finances in check. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of other different nuances on the reason why they cannot be part of that. And yeah. to hear it here, you are saying that, you know, that should be completely obsolete. If you're wanting to do it, do it. And Absolutely. you have, and you, and we all have the ability to do like you said, I, resi- I resigned. It was 11 years ago, you know, when I resigned from my job. And, and again, I went flat broke six months after leaving my job. And I remember bringing my family to a family huddle saying, hey, you know what? Um, because for me, it was important for me to, to be at a place where I felt God was calling me to do. So I walked away from making $120,000 a year as a principal, had job security. My families loved me. My uh, staff enjoyed me. The district loved me. They wanted me to be superintendent. But for me, my purpose was being called was calling me to a different direction. And all I wanted to do was inspire people and I wanted to go home. Um, so I walked away from that and people thought I was, they, were, they thought I was nuts. Even on my broker's days, they were saying, what's plan B? And I said, there is no plan B. It's wow. this plan A, this is going to work at some point in time. So I brought my family together in a huddle. I said, you know what? I'm not going to just go jump into another job just to maintain what we have here. 
I said, we're going to probably, we were in a 3,000 square foot house. I said, we're going to probably scale down to a uh, two bedroom uh, apartment for about the next year or two. But I promise you in the years to come, dad is going to have you at a different place where we're going to be okay. But for now, in the mean in between time, I'm going to sacrifice everything we have to bet on myself to do this one thing that I know is going to help and, and, and really help me and help many other people later on. And over the years, you know, since then, I've been able to, you know, speak to millions of people through media and stages and, uh, like I said, create a seven-figure business. So it was worth it. So those folks out there who are probably wondering, you know, do I stay on this job and stay here because, you know, I need to take care of my family? Yes, that's that's a priority for you. But know that there, there's always another option. It doesn't have to be either I stay here or I lose everything. Mm-hmm. How can you create another option? You know, I even tell people, you know, um, don't do what I did. I, I, I just simply left. I left. Um, I'd say start off as a, a side hustle. Find you a side hustle that you're really passionate about. Build the business up. And um, and then once you get to a place that you're comfortable, then take the leave. But but don't sit there and and think that you have to stay in a place where you're being dehumanized and not getting meaning out of and you're not growing. It's not paying you well and you don't have a life balance um, just to exist. You know, because you, you want to go through life and find your purpose, your why. And, uh, you know, one of the, the worst things you can do is leave this, this place and not know your why and not serve the people who can benefit from your story. Absolutely. Wonderful words. Thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for being an inspiration for myself. I can't say I hope. I know for the listeners who are listening into this, thank you so much for your time and and sharing this with me. Um, it's been an honor. Um, I'm not sure if you had anything else you'd like to share um, that I might have missed or if you'd like to just do in closing anything that you... I just, I'll just wait to say these words again. Jasmine, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, just for those listening to the audience out there, if, if, as you're going through, sometimes we look at um, challenges in our life and we say, oh, this is bad. But I, I want to tell you, though, sometimes adversity is a far better teacher than victory. So the adversity that you've been facing, whether it be in your past or even now, there's some things you're learning from that. So the question becomes, if, I, if I'm going to be resilient, you use the word resilient. People often think of resiliency as just simply making it through. That's a part of it, though. Surviving is part of it, though. But there's another piece of it that's called thriving. So you don't want to just survive. You want to survive and thrive. So how do you survive and thrive? You have to ask yourself a couple of questions. What am I learning from this situation? Or what did I learn from this situation? And then what will I do differently going forward? That's how you begin to thrive when you start talking about resiliency, because it's not just simply just making it out of it, though, but it's making it out, thriving, helping other people, learning from those lessons so that I don't go back that direction and then taking those lessons I learned and monetizing and, you know, just doing a lot to make a difference in our society. So there are opportunities out there. So for those folks who are going through different things, I want to let you know there's a better day going to come. And life rewards those who stay strong enough, long enough. Life rewards those who stay strong enough, long enough. So hang in there, don't give up. Don't feel like you have to compromise yourself or acquiesce to the, you know, the, you know, being average or mediocre. You can do great. And you know, God has put it out there for you to do that. He's giving you goals and dreams. He's giving you a story, giving you talents and skills. Utilize them. Don't sit there and sleep on those things and let the other, the other people in our society go out there and maximize their dreams and you sit back and become a cheerleader for them. It's time for you to jump in the game. Jump in the game of football. Okay, Jump in the game of football. Jump in the game of life and be a participant. Get out of the stands. 
participate, learn as you go. Okay, you don't have to have it all figured out. There's gonna be some things you're gonna need to learn as you go. But there's, and I'll end with this right here. There's a, there's a, a principle called the corridor effect. Oftentimes, you know, it's, it's like this. So if you stand at, at a doorway, you look down a hallway, there are blessings, there are, there are things out, out there that you'll never ever experience unless you begin to walk down the corridor. And as you begin to walk down the corridor, there are gonna be some doors that are gonna close on you. And some people will say, oh, those doors told me that I'm a failure. You know, remember, success and failure aren't opposite ends. They're a circle. You have to fail in order to succeed because there are things you're gonna to need to learn, whether it be on entrepreneurship or, or whatever it is you choose to do in life, you have to fail in order to succeed. So there are gonna be some doors that are gonna close. Those doors were meant to close on you, but there are gonna be some doors that are gonna open up for you too though. And if, the, and if you don't continue down the corridor, you'll never ever get a place, get to a place where those doors will open up for you. And I'll end with this right here. It's a testimony, it's not bragging at all. When I left my job as a principal, everyone thought I was nuts. Um, I walked away from six figures, like I mentioned before, but I stayed the course and kept going down the corridor. I kept being denied and was rejected, everything else. But I ended up eventually landing a, a um, now get this, a, a getting a contract with an organization where I worked three days a month. And they paid me a quarter million dollars for three days a month. So people say, wow, I would love to do that, Dr. Watson. I said, but would you have been willing to leave six figures? But when you're willing to step out on faith, God would open up doors and bring things, opportunities to you that you never would have discovered until you begin to walk down that corridor. So for those folks out there to walk down that corridor, take your first leap of faith and actually reach out to me, tawatson.com. Consider jumping in my Million Dollar Business Pathway coaching program, making the investment in yourself, because part of this is you have to be willing to invest in yourself in order to thrive. Yeah, take the ball and run, right? Yes. Get in the game. Get in, Get the, in game. the game. Get out of the stands. Get out of the stands. <laughs> Exactly. And I always use that same line every time someone says in an interview, um, you know, what kind of what kind of personality, you know, how do you tackle things? How do you how do you deal with problems? I said, I just give me the ball. and I'm running. I'll run it. You know, I may run the wrong way in the beginning, but I'm going to run the right way. Just get in the game. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a participant, not a not a spectator. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Dr. Watson. This has been this has been wonderful. Uh, I've learned so much from you. And now that you are in my circle of in my in our journeys have um, come to a, a pause and a yield sign in our journeys. But now we are officially. Yeah, we're on the same path. And yeah, I, yeah. I really, really I think I'm so giddy. I'm just I'm I just have so much admiration and joy that to have you as a guest. I've learned so much. So thank you so much again, Dr. Watson. Thank you for listening to Noise Blue Zion podcast. And if you enjoy listening to my podcast, please don't hesitate to give me a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Also wanted to give a shout out and thank you so much to all my guests, past, present, and future. And stay tuned for the next upcoming episode on Fridays.